Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. Our guest today is the country star and singer-songwriter Sylvia. She was everywhere in the 1980s with the huge country pop crossover hit Nobody and uh, about a dozen others. She was nominated for a Grammy and was named Female Vocalist of the Year by the Academy of Country Music. But as you might expect from our show, we're going to look at a different side of Sylvia's career, one that's blossomed more in recent years. Uh, So Sylvia, thanks so much for making time and being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Thank you, Aaron. Let's take a minute, though, first to talk about your big news of the moment. You've got a brand new album coming out next week, February 22nd, 22 Yes. <laughs> I love that date. <laughs> Nature Child, A Dreamer's Journey. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of different from anything you've done in a couple of ways. Um, it was This one was inspired by a certain subset of your fans, if I understand correctly. That's correct. It was actually the idea for the album was born about 34 years ago (laughs) when I I took some time off the road at the end of the 1980s and uh, just took some time to to be still for a while and look back over the decade of touring and uh, think about it and decide what it how I wanted to proceed forward from there because uh, during the 80s the, the hits that I had on the country music charts and otherwise were all written by other songwriters and really great songwriters who were, most of them were really good friends of mine that I had worked with at the publishing company I, I worked at when I first moved to town. And Kai Fleming, Dennis Morgan, and uh, Kent Robbins, and uh, John Schwears, and just these really wonderful, Dean Dillon uh, wrote at Pie Gym Music where I worked. And so those songs were all uh, written by other people. And I think as I you know, near the end of the decade, I started feeling like something was missing from the music for me. It was like I was growing as a person, but the music wasn't reflecting any of my own growth as a human being. And uh, I think that's what really inspired me to think about writing songs. And then looking back over the career, especially starting with Nobody, I was doing, in fact, the, the summer that Nobody hit was the summer of 1982. And I had the, all those dates that I was doing, concert dates I was doing that summer, had been booked the year before. Nobody hadn't even been recorded at that time. So I'm doing these very small county fairs for the most part. And, you know, 10,000 people would show up at a fair that usually has two or 3,000 people. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of the people that attended were kids children. In fact, over and over again, parents would say, oh, little Susie here, she wouldn't let me, you know, do anything till we got tickets to come see you sing. So that song. It's like a good cheating song, I guess. I guess so. (laughs) Well, hey, it's so funny you should say that because, you know, as I was looking back, I thought, gosh, what a missed opportunity to be singing for all these children and not really be saying anything of real meaning and substance to them that I would really want to be singing to them. And that was the initial reason why I got the idea to write an album of music for kids. That was the initial thought for kids that would be saying to them what I wished 
someone maybe would say to all their, you know, any parent would say to a child or to a grandchild, you know, things like, I love you for who you are. And, you know, don't be afraid to dream and, and, and talk about using your imagination and, uh, you know, just songs of, of assurance and inspiration. And so that was, that was the initial uh, idea for, for doing this record a long time ago. Well, it's good not to rush into things, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to wait 25, 30, 35 years to commit. Yeah. I, I tell you, I you gotta think... You've got to let it breathe after you open it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's been breathing for a while. Uh, but I, I think that it's really interesting because I assumed when I started writing the music with my friend Verlin Thompson back in the late 80s, I assumed, you know, we'd write this collection of songs and we'd go in the studio and I'd record them and it'd be out in, you know, within a year. Uh, the, that's not what happened. Uh, half of the record was written then and then life took me down different roads and I got married. I, uh, you know, eventually became a life and career coach. I mean, went through lots of changes in my life and uh, began recording independently as a, you know, independent recording artist on my own label, Red Pony Records, in uh, 1996. So John Mock and I produced, co-produced my first uh, independent record then. And, you know, it was always on the radar. It was like, we got to do that record. You know, we got to do that record, the the, the one for kids, you know. <laughs> but it just, we try, in fact, tried a couple of times, but it just didn't want to happen. And I think the beauty of it is that I think today is the perfect time for this record. It couldn't be coming out at a better time. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, you hear people talking about different inspirations for art and why, you know, uh, what comes first. Does the audience matter? It's something you hear sometimes in classical music, you know, mm -hmm. should the mm -hmm. audience be a consideration? And so it's interesting here that, that this certainly, you know, obviously, as you said, the audience was a consideration. Is it the first time you've sort of celebrated your audience with a, with an artistic direction? Yes, it is the first time. I think in the early days of my recording career, the main concern was having a hit record and you're, you're concerned right. about your audience, but in a sense, you're more concerned <laughs> about radio because if radio right. doesn't play your music, then your audience out there is not going to hear it. So uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, the, the mainstream music that we hear on regular radio uh, is really driven in a sense to please radio so they will want to play it. And of course, radio would say, well, we want to please our audience. And uh, But I, I sometimes think we shortchange our audiences because we think we can second guess what they really want. Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes very narrow and the music can become very sterile and kind of surfacey, uh, not, not having a lot of depth. So um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. I think question I speak right. for, for Aaron and I when I say we agree. Okay. <laughs> you describe uh, Nature Child as a concept album. And we were just speaking about the, the era of radio and radio singles. Now we're in the era of, you know, streaming singles and playlists and just trying to get one of your, one of your songs on a playlist. The idea of an album, let alone, let alone a concept album, seems like an, an old-fashioned notion. To, mm -hmm. tell, tell me about why uh, why you chose to, to have it be a, a concept album and what that means to you. You know, interestingly, I didn't really choose it to be a concept album. It just was one. <laughs> when we finished recording, it was like, 
you know, there's a definite theme going here. And, and of course, you know, I had kind of a central idea of the kinds of songs I wanted to write, but I didn't really set out to think of it as a concept record. It's funny, as you were asking that question, I, earlier today, I happened to see a TikTok by Beyonce and she was going, nobody makes albums anymore. Nobody makes out. She was complaining about it. She says, everybody just puts out singles and that one burns out. And they put out another rec- song and that one burns out. And she was really disgruntled <laughs> that mm. people weren't putting out albums anymore, let alone a concept album. So, yes, I guess it's kind of against the grain of what's going on. But, you know, as an independent artist, I'm not paying a lot of attention to what's going on out there as far as trying to fit in with what's happening out there. For me, as an artist, I value story. And story is real central to this record and and really, I guess, guides the choices of songs that I write and that I record. So, um I think as I looked at this album as a whole from, you know, top to bottom, it just felt like it was one piece of cloth and each of these songs were threads of the cloth. So I kind of recognized at the end of the process that, hey, this is a concept record. And and so we just allowed, allowed it to be what it is. Are you the kind of person, uh, I mean, I have, I have this album coming up, but I know I'm going to spend like a month agonizing over What's an A side? What's a B side? <laughs> like what's what's the order of the tracks? I'm gonna like just completely kill myself over this. Are you the kind of person who looks at your songs, even though they have a unity, the the narrative of what sequence they come in is important to you? Very, very important. And in in a concept record, of course, the sequence of songs is important, but it's always been important because I think I think of an album when you're putting together a group of songs, you want to lead people somewhere through emotions, just like you do when you put together a, a live concert. You want you want to move yourself and the people that are listening through kind of a journey. And when I was putting together the sequence for this album, it, it never has happened like this before, but I put it in a sequence and it it stayed. I didn't move one song. That has wow. never happened before. But as I, it, it would just, as with almost every uh, thing about this record, it's had a mystical quality to it. And there was a mystical sense of this song's first, this one's next, this one comes next. And I could go, I even sat down one day and, and wrote why this needs to come next and why this needs to go after that one and what's happening here. And, and it, it feels like there's just it's it's there's a clarity in the order of of how it moves along, and, and you never changed it. Never, not one song. Wow, <laughs> that I, has I, never happened. I, w- I will never know that joy. <laughs> <laughs> I would thought I would have thought I would never know it, but it happened on this record, which is you know there's something mystical about this record, so it may never happen again, but it happened this time. Well, the very clear opener and what sets the stage for that kind of mysticism is the song Avalon. And uh, I love how that sort of um, paints a picture of this world that you set the album in. Mm -hmm. I do too. I, it was just obvious that that was the, the invitation into the journey of, of this record. My hope is that, that you know, as people sit down to listen to this music, they will uh, just find the music taking them along a journey of their own. You know, that uh, lets them use their own imagination. To me, Avalon is a metaphor for um, for the imagination, 
what inspired me to write this song, and some people have asked me about this, is this about King Arthur and the, and the Knights <laughs> of the Round Table? And, and I say, well, you know, not, no, it's not. And it's odd because that, you know, Avalon, I guess, is known for that. But at the time that I wrote this, I didn't know much about Avalon. You know, I knew about Merlin. I, you know, I knew about King Arthur a little bit, but I hadn't watched any movies or read any books. Um, the reason it has this name is because of the dream I had the night before Verlin Thompson and I wrote the song. <laughs> I came into the writing session and said, man, I had this dream. It was it was so clear. I was just really there. I was in this place and I, I was holding a wooden clock in my hands and I turned the clock over and etched in the back of the clock was my name. And, but my name was Avalon. Hmm. And so this sparked a whole, uh, it, a whole conversation around our identity. Who are we? And that it was on a timepiece. And uh, at that time, you know, I was reading lots of Shaky Gawain and, and um, lots of spiritual kinds of books. I was very much delving into my inner self and trying to, to figure out and sort through my life issues and, and all that. And um, so I was deep into it and deep into dream interpretation. And so the conversation we had led to this idea of Avalon being our true identity and also a place kind of simultaneously. So it becomes, for me, a metaphor for our imagination, for where we go in our life journey to find who we are beyond what we do and who other people think we are or who we even think we are beyond the labels. So that, that, that was the inspiration.
rising high above the city, climbing through the sky. There's a castle built by love where all the answers lie. All who journey to the kingdom find the walls are made of freedom. Every tear becomes a shining star. Of all the uh, the times in the last you know thirty four years that you've revisited the original material, um, <laughs> did it always? I mean, this is like a time capsule at this point. So, it, does it resonate the same way uh, every time you revisit it? And some of those false starts before you finally got to, to Nature Child. Well, it it um, the music. I understand the music better now. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes you write a song. And you think you understand it. But as I was going through the process of recording this with John Mock, um, I would say, oh, I just finally understood that line in a different way than I've ever understood it before. You know, life is one eternal moment witnessed from afar. You know, lines like that, you write them and you go, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I feel like in so many ways, I was not ready to record this music 30 years ago. It really needed to be now at this time in my life with the life experiences that I've had that I can bring to it. As my voice teacher, Gerald Arthur would say, you know, everything you experience in your life is, it lives in your voice. You cannot extricate it from your voice. It's in there. Even what you had for breakfast, it's in there. <laughs> and uh, he made me laugh when he said that, but that was a statement that just bowled me over. Um, and, and why he said that to me is one, one day I was in his studio and I, I had a voice lesson with Gerald Arthur every Wednesday at 1130 for 30 something years. Um, and I would, I'd be, I was in his studio one, one Wednesday at 1130 singing and I was singing like a bird. I couldn't hit a bad note. It was just one of those days where, you know, all the planets lined up and <laughs> I was singing great. And, and, and the next week I came in and I was, I couldn't, I just couldn't get it together. And I was so frustrated. And I said, Gerald, I was singing like a bird last week. What happened? Why can't I, you know, it just nothing, it feels right. And he said, well, what's happened between last week and this week? And so I proceeded to tell him some events that had happened. And he said, hmm, well, you know, all of that is in your voice. And it wasn't there last week because those things hadn't happened yet. I said, huh? <laughs> and uh, that's my dog, Kate. Uh, you'll hear her from time to time barking at people going by. Uh, so, so I said, wow. I said, wow. Um, I never thought about that. And, and he said, you know, you why don't you just sing with the voice you have today? And it just made my mind stop. You know, my mind just kind of went, what? And, and I, I've taken that with me from there on. And after he, we had that discussion, he said, now sing something. And I opened my mouth and I was singing well again. And I think it was about not pushing away things, but actually embracing, okay, every, all those things are in my voice. So let me just sing with the, the voice, the voice I have right now and, and see what happens. 
And that has been a life lesson for me. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'm really glad that you, you brought up uh, the, the voice and what, what dwells within it. Uh, you know, for someone who's had a long uh, recording career like you, um, you, can, you can kind of like uh, examine the different seasons of one's voice. And I went back and listened to mm-hmm. you know, the 82 version, Nobody, and Drifter and Tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of the stuff from the 90s and then then this album and your voice has always remained beautiful. But like many voices, as they as they gain a, uh, a vintage, there's a there's a there's a darkness. There's a different resonance to it uh, as one mm-hmm. gets mm-hmm. older. And when you when you think about um, people who have these long recording careers, you think of Springsteen or or Sting or Emmylou Harris or, or Bob Dylan there's often a tendency to the, the timbre of the voice kind of matches the, the, uh, the themes of the material as well. And there tends to be more contemplative material, mm-hmm. maybe even more world weary material, whereas you've kind of gone the opposite mm-hmm. direction and it's like even more mm-hmm. uh, innocent and reverent and childlike in its wonder about things, which I think is, is, is remarkable and uh, stands out from well, other people you. who've had that kind of long career. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I don't. I've never heard anybody make that observation before, but I think there's a truth in it. And uh, I think um, that you say that there's an inner child in me that has never gone dormant. <laughs> I'm. I feel like the child in me has stayed very much alive all of my life. It never really got buried. Maybe some of it is because I never had a child of my own and, and I've, you know, just been able to play and do music and do concerts and, you know, music, I think kind of keeps, keeps you in a youthful kind of state of mind often. But I think also the journey that we go through, if you endeavor to ask those deeper questions of life, like, why am I here? You know, what, what's this about? What, what's going to make my life feel meaningful and give me a sense of purpose in this world? When you start asking those questions, something happens, you know, you, you deepen into yourself. And Gerald Arthur, my voice teacher is one of the best, you know, most important teachers of my life. And, and one of the other things he taught me, he taught me many things, but, um, he, he was very much an advocate of, of, of music and singing. The best singing is conversational. I think when I was younger, I was kind of, um, and at first people would always say, sing up there where the, the big, you know, where the, the money is. That, that was a, a phrase, you know, to pitch things real high. So you hit these big high notes and hold them for a long time. And that's kind of popular right now, actually. <laughs> but as a singer who cares about story, you know, and, and, and relating a story, I, I really like singing in a key that is a, um, where I'm not having to sing out of my my voice, normal talking range. I think if you're telling stories, it's help. It's helpful sometimes to be able to sing in a talking range and sing very conversationally. So the timber that's there now is yes, from getting older, and also from embracing this um, the storyteller part of me who really cares about expressing a story so that the listener can come on board without my, the sound of my voice getting in the way of the story, if that makes sense. It does. I think it, uh, it, it positions you perfectly for, for this type of album. Well, it's interesting talking well, about you. the 
importance to you of expressing yourself and telling these stories? You mentioned that for years you'd sang songs that other people had written. And, uh, but in the last couple of albums of original material, the uh, It's All in the Family album you wrote about three quarters of, I think, and then you co-wrote mm-hmm. all of, of this Nature Child album, um, mm-hmm. on which you talk a lot about uh, chasing your dreams, following your dreams, realizing your dreams. Obviously, you realized your dream of singing on some of the world's biggest stages. Was Do you think that maybe being a songwriter was also one of those dreams that, that you ended up realizing over time? Yes, over time. And in the beginning, I didn't really have a big uh, passion about about writing because, for one thing, I was working at a music publishing company for those first few years I was in town with some of the, the hottest songwriters in Nashville, really great songwriters. Uh, Dean Dillon, who went on to write a bunch of George Strait hits and um, uh, just really fine quality writers like Kai Fleming and Dennis Morgan, who were really you know, probably one, some of the two of the most awarded songwriters of the 1980s. They had many, many hits, Smoky Mountain Rain by Ronnie Millsap and had hits by Barbara Mandrell and my hits that Snapshot and Nobody and Tumbleweed, those songs. So, you know, I, I think um, I, I didn't have a lot of reason to write then because I felt like, oh, these people, they're, this is what they do. They write songs and they're passionate about it and that's their thing. But as Leave it to the professionals. Yeah, leave it to the <laughs> professionals. But as I, you know, but I'll, I'll, re, I'll regress here a little bit. When I was growing up, my mother who worked, my mother and father both worked for General Motors and my mother worked on an assembly line. She would write poems and songs to the rhythm of the assembly line. And hmm. you can imagine it was very mind-numbing work, you know, soldering this thing, doing this thing, you know, just over and over and over again for, you know, eight hours a day. So she, to keep her sanity, she would write these little poems and songs and she'd bring them home and, you know, sometimes I'd make up a melody to them. And so I knew that it was possible to write songs. And, and I think that's really the first kind of you know, aha that, oh, and, and my mom being a woman, you know, it was, you know, and then I moved to Nashville and almost all songwriters were men mm. <laughs> with the exception of Kai Fleming. She, she was one of the few uh, women songwriters that I knew. Um, but as I went through the eighties and did all those, you know, hundreds of shows a year for uh, most of the decade, I began to feel like there was a, a part of me that was, was, just having to be repressed and and only people could really see who I was and who I was becoming as a growing human being in between the songs, not through the songs. Hmm. So I, I felt this desire begin to well up in me that I want to write, not, not to be a writer, like to have hit songs or something. <laughs> it's hard. I just wanted to express myself. It's like, I don't, the, the, you know, you could look and look and listen to hundreds of songs and every now and then there'd be a song that, well, I like that song. That's a good song. And I could, I can get into that, but it wouldn't be really from my own life experience, you know, from, it was almost like being an actor when you would sing a song sometimes. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. And I'm glad I got to do that. But as I performed more and more, it became evident that I, I want to express something about my perspective on the world and my perspective on, on things I'm experiencing. And, and so that's when the, the songwriter in me began to be born. 
And so it sounds like the process was different with Verlin than with John Mock. With Verlin, it sounds like you were in the same room. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. We would uh, meet and um, we would uh, start a conversation like about a dream or whatever. I was, you know, one day, I had a list of ideas. I wanted to write a song about using your imagination and I wanted to use uh, write a song about, you know, don't be afraid to dream. I, I, and it ended up being the title, I think. I, but most of them ideas were ideas that weren't titles. They were just things I wanted to write about. Um, and so we would show up in a room and down at EMI Music when he was writing down there and uh, we would just turn the tape recorder on. We didn't, our phones didn't have recorders then. I had a real drive with a little cassette recorder and we would just turn the recorder on, start talking and he would start playing some chords and I'd start humming a melody around the chords and almost always the whole melody would, of the song would be written, even the chorus. And okay, it feels like it needs a bridge. Where does it go from here? And quarterly, you know, just with the chords, we would figure out the whole structure of the song. And then we would begin to go back and uh, write the lyrics from there. So in a sense, there's a similarity in, mm. uh, in that there was a melody first. With John Mock writing the, the four songs we wrote in 2020 during the process of recording this record, he would write the music first, put it down on his little iPhone <laughs> recorder, send it to me, and I would play it over and over as I sat with my tablet and got into this Zen place where the lyrics and images started coming. And uh, so it, we, we totally wrote a part. He would write all of the music first, and then I would take it and write the lyrics. So that it is a, a little bit different. It's a very uh, f- fertile collaboration with, uh, with John Mock. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, among the mystical things in your life. It's, it's, it's a mystical pairing of, mm. uh, of two musical people. Well, thank you. I think so too. I I had lunch with John today, and we were just talking and about the whole process over the last three years of making this record. And we're both so pleased with how it's turned out, and we both are in awe of how it came together. Even the the designing of the album co- cover, which we did together, uh, coming up with the idea. Because when we totally com- completed the recording of the record. Then we said, okay, what are we going to do for a cover? <laughs> How is it going to reflect this music? But it's got to reflect this music. And so, you know, we we used our creativity in a whole other way, but it was just as mystical, the whole uh, idea of, of how to uh, let this cover be an invitation into the music. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. We had John on, on the show seems like a few few months ago, three, four months ago, mm-hmm. um, and talking about how his music, his instrumental music is so uh, based around imagery and, and conjures so many images. And it sounds like it's that very characteristic mm-hmm. that allowed your collaboration to work. I think so. And I think there is a, a folk kind of quality to the melodic sense of his the music he writes. I feel there's something ancient in it to me. Mm-hmm. It, it feels that way. And, and it does evoke images for me. When he first sat down and played the Nature Child uh, music just on his guitar for me, I I started seeing woods. And, and he said, oh, I can't believe it. He said, that's what I saw too.
we both saw that somewhere in the song, somebody's going to be in the woods. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sure enough, <laughs> I when I started writing the lyrics, I didn't know how we were going to get to the wood. I was going to get to the woods, but it happened. So, Working title, Person in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and often, you know, when I write the the lyrics, I have no idea what the title's going to be. I don't write from a title. I just, Mm. I write by the seat of my pants (laughs) and just see where it leads me. The clouds are drifting. Across a purple sky And I am drifting too The wind it takes me To where I do not know Above the earth Green fields, blue seas Now I am Sway, they nod and smile. Come walk among us. We've longed to see your face. We bid you stay and rest a while. You've come home, my nature child, for so long you have been. In fact, Hey, 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 It's a New Day, he had written that melody and music. Uh, We had gone up to Kentucky to uh, perform at a friend's wedding. And uh, he he came and said, hey, I just wrote this music. Come, come and listen. And so I came over and listened to this piece that he'd written. And I thought, oh, that's really good. And I recorded it on my phone. Hmm. And then we forgot all about it. And there was a fourth song that John wrote the music to on this record, and I began writing lyrics to it, and it just wasn't going well. And I thought, there was a melody, a, mu- a piece of music he wrote some time ago. And I, f- I looked back through my recordings and found the music to Hey, Hey, Hey. It wasn't called that. It was just music. Hey, 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 it's a new day is what it turned out to be. Huh. But I I took that and I thought, oh, and the lyrics start started flowing. <laughs> and, Interesting. <laughs> so that's... I, that I haven't even told that story before, but that was written probably in 2015 huh. uh, that he wrote that music and I went back and found it. And, and he had and probably forgotten all about it. Yes, we both had until he heard it and, and he went, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was really good. <laughs> and, and then we just, who knows? It, it, but something inside me said, go look for it. And I did. And then there, there it is.
comment earlier in the interview uh, that I, I kind of uh, I'm stuck on that that this is a perfect time for this album to come out and that struck my ear as odd because I feel like we live in a time of dark satire gallows humor more skepticism and cynicism than usual mm-hmm. uh, and, and here on you know on February 22nd we're going to have this exceedingly earnest uh you know, a demonstration of unfettered hope and positivity and self-realization. And and to me, it feels like we're at odds with where we are at this cultural moment. Did you feel that as well? Or do you feel like this is, this is exactly where we are, where, where we're at or where we should be perhaps? Yes, it is where we should be because it's where we are. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> there's a wisdom in that, you know, to not, to not resist where we are because the resistance creates more stress. So I, I think it is a perfect time because um, it's perfect in, in its reflection of my own experience with life. And I don't put my head in the sand. I'm, I listen to NPR every day. I, you know, I, I keep up with the news. I know what's going on in politics. I know, you know, but I don't, uh, I don't immerse myself in it. I usually will listen one time during the day. I probably will read my news on, online. Um, but I think it's the perfect time because if we're ever going to solve the issues, the big issues that are uh, we're facing in the world with climate change, with uh, destroying our our atmosphere, with our oceans. I, I just saw a headline. I haven't read the article yet about plastics in the ocean by 2050. I mean, it's going to be disastrous. So to me, it's a perfect time for this record because – and the title, Nature's Child, Nature Child, is really why I'm saying all this. It's it's about our true nature and nature itself, like Mother Nature, Gaia. We we have to come to some understanding, I think, if we're going to survive on this planet. 
we're going to have to come to some understanding that we're not separate from the, from nature. We are a part of nature. We are nature and that we have more power than, than we know, you know? And, and so if we're, if we're going to take care of this planet, we, it's got to start with each individual coming to terms with our own, uh, relationship to the earth. And, and I, I don't mean to sound, you know, uh, woo-woo or whatever. I mean, call it woo-woo if you want. But, uh, you know, I, I see uh, the science of what's going on with the world. And we're, we're, in a, we're in a, uh, on a collision course. And so I know from my own life experience that the change has to happen within each individual. And, and if I'm going to find uh, solutions out there, I got to look in here. You know, it's, there's an outward gaze right now that I think is, is creating a lot of dissonance and I would love to help people. And I think this record is one of the ways, one of many, many ways that people can, can move their awareness inward to their imagination. I I think about Einstein. I've, I've read stories and things about Einstein and how he used his imagination every day to come up with these very complex mathematical equations and E equals M squared. MC squared, all that stuff is, it, he come up. He came up with these ideas by taking a series of naps every day, holding a ball in his hand, and when he would fall asleep, the ball would drop on the floor and wake him up. And he said, almost every time he would have a new clue of something to look at that might take him to the solution to his the problem he was working on, or the answer might come. But, you know, one, I read one story where there was a, he was on a bus and, or riding somewhere and, and he had a piece of lint on his leg and he took his finger and just flicked it off of his leg. And in his imagination, he imagined the, the piece of lint flying out into outer space. I don't remember exactly what equation he was working on at that time, <laughs> but, you know, it was something about time, space, travel or something. I don't know. But he, his brilliance was that he dwelled in and tapped into his subconscious, into his imagination often. And I, I find that really intriguing. And I think this music is an invitation into your own imagination and who knows where, where that will take you. Sylvia, it's been really great, uh, talking about the album and about your, uh, evolving career as a songwriter and your approach. Um, how can, how can people hear Nature Child? How can people buy this album, stream this album? Well, it's going to be on all major platforms, but I, I would love it if people would uh, order it from bandcamp.com. It's uh, what I love about what they offer. Uh, if when you buy the CD, you also get the digital download, but it's a high resolution, you know, high fidelity uh, recording that you get to download onto your device. Mm. More high quality than in, in a lot of places, but of course it's, yeah. it'll be available on iTunes and and uh, Amazon and places like that. All the major digital platforms, and and two visit my website sylviamusic.com, and uh, there will be you know you can click on a button there and it'll take you to a place you can buy the record. Great, yeah, it's cool that Bandcamp is offering the uh, the high res. Mm-hmm. A digital option for people it contains all of the music <laughs> rather than a, a compressed version so mm-hmm. that's a great innovation mm-hmm. well thanks so much this has really been fun yes it has thank you so much this is this is a great conversation thank you sylvia congratulations on the new album thank you aaron thanks Grand 
Thank you for listening. Craft Brewed Music, both the podcast and the music discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brewed Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time. <laughs>